Hi, welcome to Be With The Word. This is our Souls and Hearts show where we reflect on the Sunday readings and we reflect from a psychological perspective. And this is the week that is the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And we hope that you will either do those readings or go back and listen to us on Hear The Word where we can where we do read them to you. And then come on over here and join our discussion. I'm Dr. Jerry Crete. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm here with my good guest. Oh, not my good guest, my good <laughs> Dr. Peter I'm Malinowski. I'm a good guest. I'm Dr. Peter Malinowski. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a clinical psychologist in Indianapolis, Indiana. So Yeah, yeah. Great to see you, Dr. Peter. It's good to be with you, Dr. Jerry. We have an interesting topic because you you named it, but it's blind spots can be deadly. Yes. You want to say Deadly. about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was I was really struck by the gospel and I I was thinking about this uh this whole way that we misperceive things. You know, as a psychologist, I'm really interested in perceptions and how we construct meaning and how we interpret our experiences. And I was like, that's what just leapt out at me in these readings today, Dr. Jerry. Wow. So. All right. Now that was, looks really interesting. I was moved also by that, but I was thinking about the amazing messages that come both in the first reading in Isaiah, and then you get the alluded to in the gospel as well. Right. Oh, well, in the Psalms about right. the abundance and the joy and the, the, the bountifulness of, of God's providence and what he has in store for us. Yeah, well, let's. So, what words? I'm always really interested in what words grab people. So, like, if you go to that first, that first reading, like, just give me a word that you'd like focused in on. What, 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 what got it for you? I said it funny when I first read it on Hear the Word because I said choicey <laughs> myself. So, I apologize for that. But we didn't have time to go back and edit that. But the word is choice wines. Choice and, wines. Yeah, because I think of wine, especially in those times. As being well, they might have been common enough in terms of people drank wine commonly, but mm -hmm. choice. So, in other mm -hmm. words, the very best, you know. So it's not you're not it's not like the three ninety nine special. It's the it's <laughs> that three buck chuck, right? Dollar <laughs> bottle of wine, right? Like it's the really nice stuff. Yeah, well, that's consistent with our Lord, right? At the uh, at the wedding at Cana, when he changed the water into wine for his very first miracle at the at the request of his mother, of our dear lady, you know, he the steward was amazed at the quality of the wine, and yeah. he said, "You've kept the you've kept the good vintage for now." It's like wow, right? So, and and what hits me there, even from a psychological perspective and a clinical perspective, is that people come in whether they believe it or not in their heads, they come in believing they're less than and they're not good enough. That's my experience over and over with people. And uh, deep down, if you knew me, you wouldn't really want me, you wouldn't value me, you wouldn't, you know, I, I, I would be seen as bad. And yet here in this passage, and then again, in the Psalms, like, we get this message, no, God wants the best for us. The he very best. Pull the choice wine for someone he dis he's disgusted with. Well, I was just thinking too, even people that do come in and seem like they are very full of themselves, you know, what we might think of as narcissistic types of personalities, that's all compensatory. When you run, when you run into somebody that is, that is making themselves all that in a bag of chips, you know, really inflating themselves, that is a, that is a defense 
against shame and inadequacy and feeling not enough. And that's what, what people so, often don't realize about narcissism. Yeah. So let's break that down just a little bit, because I like what you just said, but people right. might not necessarily get compensatory and why. So in other words, <laughs> Are you want me to speak English to our people, not just jargon? Oh, Is that no, what you're saying? Just you're just it, right? like, I'm guilty you know, again. I'm guilty again. <laughs> no, I, I think you should say it that way. And I think most right. probably people will understand, right. but I just want to make right. sure they do, because it's so important. So someone who's narcissistic is extraordinarily self-centered, right? right? And they may come across as thinking they're all that and a bag of chips, like is right. right? And so, but why are they behaving that way? Yeah. Well, if you look at the traditional psychodynamic understandings of narcissism, it is a, it's it's a compensation. It is uh, I'm so I'm so defended against the shame and worthlessness that not only am I okay. I'm like so much better than okay. I'm great, right? And part of the reason that they have trouble uh, in relationships and have trouble with um, criticism, have trouble with even you know feedback uh, that's constructive, is because if you begin to scratch that, it all falls apart, right? So there's this there's the sense that if you if if they're if they're self-image is compromised even a little bit it totally collapses so they're 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 they don't have resilience you know to be able to take those to take the uh to take the the negative feedback along with the positive feedback so they're making up for something they're making up for something yeah that's right they're they're that's that's the reason and, and so if i think if people could really see how wounded people who are acting in a narcissistic way are, there would be a lot more compassion. They tend to act in ways that bring it on, uh, bring on actually additional criticism, right? right. So now that's not to say that there's not um, vice in this as well. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to psychologize everything, you know, that including things that would be in the moral, moral or spiritual realms. But, um, but yeah, that's often what's going on. And if if people with narcissistic styles can feel uh, safe enough and they can have a sense of their own worth, those, the idea is that those defenses can soften, that they don't have to be so compensatory. You know, I'm really curious because we're going down this path a little bit and maybe we want to veer back, but I'm curious, the topic is blind spots can be deadly. Right. You know that in the gospels, there are people that just don't see their focus on business or the farm or something. Right. Don't come to this amazing feast. Right. So how are narcissists doing that or not doing that? So because there's such a focus on self-protection, because they feel so unsafe, they cannot see themselves as they really are, and they cannot see uh, others as they really are. And most importantly, they cannot see God as he is. Hmm. Right. I think narcissism was one of the primary reasons why the Pharisees could not see God or would not see Christ as he really was. Right, mm-hmm. it's because they were um, they were uh, really threatened by him, and they didn't receive. They weren't open. They didn't have that receptivity. They didn't have that openness. Um, and so, there's two ways with narcissism that you can try to um, broach those defenses. One of them is to be very gentle and kind, and it can take a long time, years, and it might not work. And the other way that you can do it is to depth charge the defenses. It's to pierce them, all right? Mm-hmm. It's a much faster way, um, and you risk decompensation, which is the narcissist just totally falling apart, 
uh, or you risk on the other end, the narcissist rising up and becoming um, even more vicious and angry. Um, or in some cases, what you do is you actually create a crisis in which they can, um, they can uh, actually see themselves more as they are and seek the help and accept the help that they need. And so we know that our Lord acted perfectly in every situation. He knew exactly what each Pharisee needed in that moment that he was dealing with. And he was, he was pushing them hard with the hope that, in the hope that they would actually respond. And you know, what's hitting me also, though, is that um, as you're saying that, I love that. I think that's so interesting. But, you know, people can get diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, and that's the clinical level of right. concern. And, and but we don't have to even be that to have narcissistic tendencies or behaviors, correct? Right. Personality disorders are just one end of an extreme end of a continuum. Right. So you can have a narcissistic yeah. personality style. And frankly, I don't even like personality diagnoses because I think we all have different modes we operate in. Right. You know, so um, so uh, we can have parts of us that are narcissistic and sometimes those parts are really active and they take over and we then act in that way. But there may be other times where uh, in other situations in which they're not they're not driving the bus, you know? And oh. so there's a greater openness in those moments. So I will see folks, for example, with strong narcissistic tendencies in therapy, really relax, soften, open up because they feel safe. Yeah. And that's a huge part of like marital therapy, right? Is to have everybody feel safe. So those defenses, whatever they are, can be relaxed, right? So parts can feel safe. But I think that that's really insightful because I think that can be confusing for say in a marital situation, like I'm working with say a couple and the wife comes in and yeah, he's narcissistic in this and that way, let's say, but then he turns around and he can also be kind and compassionate right. also. And, right. and how, you know, it can be difficult to even make sense, but what you're saying really helps explain it, right? These different parts. So it can get more and more active or less active. It depends on, it depends on a number of factors. And a lot of it is the will. This is something that I want to make sure that uh, is clear is that a lot of it is our choices, not that our choices can directly change how we feel in the moment or how we see ourselves, but we can choose to be in the kinds of environments and to receive in the kinds of things that can heal us, or we can refuse. And that's what you see going on in the gospel, right? You see a refusal. Um, you see a refusal of the gift. Now, it's important to remember that in, when, in weddings in these days, like in, in, in these days, they first of all lasted several days, right? So it's, a, it's a, an ongoing event. You stayed overnight, several nights usually. Um, and so when the summonses are going out and when the king sends out his servants to summon, these people have already be, been invited. This is the second summons, right? So the first one is an invitation. Just to let you know, it's sort of like a, a kind of like the hold the date, yeah. Yeah, hold the date kind of notification. So everybody knows when it's going to happen. But then there's a second one that says, yes, the feast is ready. Right. He didn't like he didn't like, you know, butcher all of his cattle, cook everything up and then say, oh, I should probably send out the invitations. No, the invitations went out like weeks ago. Now is the summons. And so this is the moment when people who already accepted the invitation are now saying, no, I'm not coming. Right. So on the surface, this is another example of the Jews missing the point, right? Because you can read it that way. 
that right. the Jews had were the chosen people had received the invitation. Now Christ comes, and what do they do? They kill him, and 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 so now a new people are being called in. Right. right. So that's one interpretation, right? The classic interpretation is the first summons was to the Jews and the second summons, when you go out to the highways and byways, mm -hmm. round up everybody, that's the call to the Gentiles. That's one way of interpreting it. Yeah. yeah. But then there's another way, right? Like there's another broader view here that we can look at for ourselves, right? That we're being called to, um, you know, that we've been called as Christians, right? And that we can get so busy with our own lives, that we actually miss important moments where Christ is calling us to worship, to connect with him and so on. And I think one of the things that that's important to note here is that, you know, even if we're blinded by something good, right? Uh, it's not in this one, but I think it's the, in the gospel of Luke where uh, one goes home to the new wife, you know, he says, I'm newly married, so I'm going to go home to my wife. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not in this 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 version in Matthew, um, but you know here we have three things, right? We have a farm, we have a business, uh, and we have uh, we have a new wife. Okay, those are all good things. None of these things are objectively evil. Nobody is saying, "Oh, I'm going to you know a weekend getaway with my harlot," you know, or something like that. Um, right. You know, so so there's there's different motives why people are not coming. Some of it's distraction. But I'm also going to argue, Dr. Jerry, that when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the things that uh, keep us from relating with God, keep us from accepting the feast, right? And so I thought of things like shame, right? Going back to what we were talking about before. Yeah. I, I can't tolerate the shame. I don't feel like I don't feel like I can bear to be in the presence of God except that invitation. Uh, yeah. Shame. Yeah. So, so really the psychological, the mental, the things inside that keep us turning away from God, because we think we misapprehend that God is going to condemn us or that God is indifferent to us maybe, and that we probably should just stay away. It's probably just safer to stay away, which is suicidal. And I, and I don't use that word lightly. Like if we stay away from God, whatever the reason, whether that's shame, whether that's fear, whether that's anger, whether that's disappointment, whatever it is, if we choose to not be in relationship with God, mm -hmm. that's deadly. That's yeah. deadly. It's deadly in a, in, it's even more deadly than suicide because it's a kind of spiritual suicide. That has eternal that can have eternal ramifications and that's the tragedy that i see sometimes with folks who who are not understanding god who whose whose god images are totally distorted uh they're looking through these really dark glasses interpreting uh god's behavior as though he were evil really or distorted in fact in the in the uh, coronavirus crisis carpe diem podcast that i did i did a whole series of episodes numbers 23 to 29 on distorted god images they're all about Excellent. 14 different distorted god images because if these folks knew like what the feast was there would be no question as to whether i'm going or not you know i just had a few thoughts here and i hope it doesn't take us too far in the field but it maybe will help some people 
um, reflect on this because everybody's coming at it from a different generation and so on. And I think it's interesting. I feel like I'm in that funny generation, that in-between generation, like I'm not a boomer. Um, I guess I'm a gen, what, what am I, generation X? And so I, I feel like, like I have this great desire for tradition. Like I love history. I love the glory of the church. Like I love the beauty of it all. Like I love the idea of like this glorious church. And so I'm attracted to the, like, obviously I go to a Byzantine church. I think like if I've, if I've been to Latin mass, it's like, if they're singing a Gregorian chant, I'm just like in heaven. Right. So I have this attraction to that. And yet I kind of grew up with the hippie stuff, which, which actually helped me in certain ways too. So it wasn't like it was all bad, but I think about some of my older relatives and maybe even my mother here who were raised before Vatican II, but, and so they got all the stuff that I might've thought was glorious, but the messaging around God, at least I'm not saying this was everywhere, but I think it was bigger than like a lot of people, the messages, at least my mother, my parents would have received about God would have frightened, would, would have turned anybody away. It seems to me some of that stuff. And I don't want to get into it all, but I think, you know, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm right. talking about. If you're really young, you don't even know. You have right. no, you know what I mean? Like you might have see the stereotype of the nun with the ruler and all this stuff, right. but, but you don't even know. Right. right. But I, I really do think they had all the glories of the church without the, the message of God, of who God was in some level. I talk about that a little bit in terms of form without substance, you know, you can have the form, but if you don't have the love, right, that's the substance, right? And so, so if they did find that somebody loved them in an evangelical uh, Bible study where there was music and there was like hugging and physical contact and people mm-hmm. calling you up and seeing if you're okay, that's a huge, powerful draw, right? right. Or, or, or things that lead us out of the church, right? This is where the blind spots come back in. Yeah. Um, and that's where, you know, that's why, uh, you know, the second largest denomination it, uh, of Christians in the in the U.S. after Catholics are former Catholics, right, mm-hmm. or people that have left the faith. There's been a lot of discontent there. But if we really knew who God was, we would we would um, there would be no question about what we would do. But God allows us to have that freedom. One of the reasons that things are veiled, if you go back to the first reading, right. and it talks about um, the uh, the uh, the on this mountain he will destroy the veil that veils all peoples the web that is woven over all the nations that's a good misperception yeah i'm looking at that as being like like that like like a like a filter like a lens that's so distorted like these this terrible set of like glasses that distort everything i think we wear these glasses that distort everything i have terrible vision i have like 2200 vision i'm very myopic very nearsighted and before we had these really nice polymer glasses that you could get, I had the Coke bottle glasses, you know, and if I didn't have them, you know, they could really distort things. And one of the things that like people like to do is put my glasses on because everything looks super weird when you put, you know, Peter's glasses on because it's, you know, it's such poor right. vision, right? It was kind of, we look at God through these, through these, these terrible glasses because we're attributing to him uh, the kinds of things that have happened to us in our relational histories, our attachment injuries, our relational wounds. 
And uh, we talked a little bit about this in episode 29 of Be With the Word, which was on uh, God Images. It was actually, it's actually been our most popular episode, uh, oh, cool. at least on, on, the, on the podcast side. I don't know about the YouTube side, but, um, but yeah, it's because we misinterpret these things. And so this guy shows up because we actually do the long form, right? So we have the, the guy that shows up without the garment, right? Oh, right. And, yeah. and, and so we don't skip the hard stuff. We're not, we're not avoiding any of that because it can seem a little weird. Like what's going on with that, you know? But before we get there, I, I mean, I, I want to make this point because I do think that there are people who have gone on like to their farm, to the business, to their new wife and skip God, right? Skip the feast because they learn something about God in a negative way. And it might've been that maybe the pre-Vatican II austerity where there was no mention of God's of, or it might have been post-Vatican II lack of substance around who God was. Like, so it could be any of those right. possible misconceptions right. about who God was, which I think is to your point why we have blind spots. Right. And they're not even, it's not even like people necessarily go out of their way to create those. They're part of our experience. So how do we, you know, how do we do that actual blind spot check to right. make sure that we're not actually seeing God incorrectly? Well, that's the exciting thing, because I've got an exercise to help with that. Um, and we'll, we'll get there. But the first thing you raise a great point that we should be thinking about now is to know we have blind spots. The guy that knows he has blind spots, the woman that knows she has blind spots is so far ahead of the one who doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And it takes some humility to believe that we have these blind spots, you know, and, and riffing off of what you were saying, the harshest words that Jesus had in the gospels were for the hypocrites, yeah. right? Were for people that taught one thing and did another because those people contribute to the creation of blind spots, mm -hmm. right? And that's what leads little ones astray, right? Um, because there's an association. Oh, this is a, this is a religious person. You know, this is, you know, this is, this is, you know, father so-and-so, you know, uh, the priest or, or my own father or my mother or somebody else that has taken on the mantle of being a Christian, right. But who has not been, uh, very good at loving. Right. Uh, so, so those are the ones that actually caught the, the most criticism from our Lord because of how damaging it is to God images. That's what I think as a psychologist. Yeah. 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 No, I know. I agree. I, and I think when people encounter Christ, they encounter um, not a person who has no substance, who is wishy-washy, somebody with strong conviction coupled with amazing love and compassion. Right. And, and I wonder whether where we see that in the world today, you know, not as often as we, we, we might like, we see, we might see a love without conviction or a conviction without love. And either one is kind of disastrous, right? Well, and if you start separating that, that form and substance, you wind up with radicalization in various ways. And I think we're seeing that in the polarization in yeah. our culture today, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think Christ is such a beautiful example of being able to meet people where they are with right. conviction and love and then transforming their hearts. And it, well, uh, and if you see his response to the openness to learning something new, like whenever somebody asks, who are you? He is like right there with them. You know, 
the woman caught in the act of adultery, the woman by the well, uh, the gentleness with which he, he works with people that are open to him. Mm-hmm. But if people have decided, no way, Jose, I am not engaging with you, whether that's uh, Herod or whether that's uh, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the elders of the people, you know, he's still loving them by trying to pierce those defenses. So there are a lot of times where people have a long litany of, um, of, of grievances against God, you know, but there's also, if you look at it, a long history of never being open to God. Right. Right. So it's like, you know, like, like I have not, I've not prayed in 23 years because I'm not praying to that guy. Right. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve my love. You know, but sometimes they still hold on to a Catholic identity, may go to mass even and so forth, you know. So there's this kind of, again, it's parts, right? Different parts of them. So how do we then recognize if we're holding on to a grudge against God that really isn't about God? So do you want me to like jump into the action item? Because I'll do it right now. I mean, you're asking, you're asking a perfect lead. Let's just go to the action item. All right. So this is, this is, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Now, I want you to listen to this carefully because... This may, for some people, seem a little edgy, all right? Um, And I want you to understand that I am approaching this as an Orthodox Catholic, but I'm going to ask this question in these words. What do I feel, that's important, what do I feel I need to forgive God for, right? In other words, how has God wronged me? in my feelings like that's what i how do i feel god has wronged me right is it by being distant is it by you know the 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 miscarriage that happened two years ago is it because my father and i never got along is it you know like what is it that i blame god for right because it's those things that are going to contribute to us not showing up at the wedding feast. You know, we may say it's because I've got a new wife or because I've got a new, uh, you know, eight new yoke of oxen or whatever it is that I need to try. But the, the bottom line is, is that I don't want to be with them. I know it's the king, but I don't want to be with them. You know what? And I can choose not to be with them, but that is essentially what hell is all about. It's choosing not to be with God. That's really how people get to hell. It's by choosing not to be with God. And most people are not going to do it out of some sort of, you know, Machiavellian, you know, sort of evil driven Luciferian uh, uh, malice. You know, that's not how it typically goes. It, it, it goes from these blind spots that we're not willing to be corrected. We're not going to let the experience of God as he is show us something else. We're not going to go to the feast. Mm-hmm. Because if we go to the feast, we're going to have to give up our assumptions. We're going to have to change. We're going to have to understand God as he really is. And there's a lot of comfort in the familiarity of the dysfunction and the disorder that we know. So how do we get over this of uh, frustration toward God that's a feeling where we feel like he's wronged us? Uh, we're not saying God did wrong us per se, but we're just, and that's a strong feeling that keeps us away. Right. So the first thing is, uh, is to own it, is to own that we hold these positions. And again, this is where like thinking about us in terms of parts makes sense that to say a part of me 
feels this, mm-hmm. right? Because there's often another part that's like an Orthodox uh, Uber Catholic part that says, no, 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 no. We can't hear that. We're, we don't really think that. We, we really don't think that, God. We really are not angry at you. We're really not. You know, like it gets really frightening to right. some parts of us because we're afraid that God's going to going to come down on us. And there's other parts of us, you know, that recognize, hey, God doesn't wrong us. Right. God is not unjust. Right. But there's still parts of us that really hold this. What a lot of Catholics do is we try to suppress, deny, reject those uh, those parts of us that feel this way. Uh, we, you know, just call them the flesh, you know, or we think it's some sort of demonic you know, influence or temptation or something like that. We try to get rid of all of that. And I'm going to say, no, let's own what really is true, right? Let's own what really is going on within us, what's real. Let's own it. Let's acknowledge that there's a part of me that feels disappointed with God. There's a part of me that feels angry at God. There's a part of me that feels frightened of God. There's a part of me that feels so ashamed I could never even appear before God. I'm not worthy. Whatever the parts are. Right. So, so the way we do this is we start to ask, what do I, what, what do I, what am I blaming God for? Not because we're uh, putting God in the dock and we're going to put him on trial, but so that we can know ourselves better so that we can decide to take those things, maybe not to God right away, maybe to our lady, you know, maybe to St. Joseph, maybe to our guardian angel so that they can be healed so that we can at least open up the discussion so that we can find out that it wasn't what we thought it was. Mm-hmm. This is part of living by faith, right? This is part of trusting in things as yet unseen, that there are explanations for our experiences that do not cast God in the role of the villain, right? So, so to, do this, uh, to do this is actually really brave work. I always admire people when they go into their systems, into themselves, and they start identifying these parts that, you know, that are like, have such intense, you know, have such intense reactions to God. Uh, And I really should say to who they think God is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So does that make sense? I mean, like to sit down and to actually write down, I have a part in me that feels angry at God because of what happened in second grade. You know, that year that I had Mrs. So-and-so as my teacher and she rode me mercilessly while while claiming to be a holy a holy woman you know that kind of thing you know i yeah and i think some of those comes might even stem from something even harder right like i blame god for you know my grandmother dying right or or my parent or for something really you know really well i mean not that the teacher couldn't have been caused a lot of trauma right right but, but you know some some major loss some major traumatic event I think the hardest thing for people to make sense of that most of us do kind of beat against God, right? In some way, shape or form because of those things. And and yet we don't know what to do with the negative feelings we have. Or we think we do know what to do, which is to bury it, to try not to deal with it, to defend <laughs> against it. But then you're doing the exact same thing that we were talking about that narcissists do, right? We're deliberately blinding ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're deliberately blinding ourselves. And so if we can get to this place where we are open and we can trust enough by faith, and we'll be given the grace of faith if we want it, 
God's not going to leave us to twist in the wind and sort this all out by, by, by ourselves. If we give him a little space to work, he'll take that little space and he'll respect those boundaries. And if we give him a little space more, give him a little space more, you know, and this is what we are doing in the resilient Catholics Carpe Diem community. I'm, I, I, uh, we just put up the, um, the, uh, garden wall exercise, which is all about like recognizing that God respects our boundaries and that he'll relate with us in ways that can, can, can be safe, right? That's what that whole exercise is about. So if you happen to be in the uh, resilient Catholics Carpe Diem community, you probably already know about that, but that's one of the benefits of being in that group in that, because we're actually working with this stuff in prayer. I spend a lot of time helping people in prayer approach God in a way that allows God to show them that he's not who they think he is. Yeah. You know, this reminds me also, since we're plugging things, is the Be True course. Because exactly. the marital course for when somebody is struggling with pornography and there has to be a space to let your feelings out with your partner, knowing that your partner is going to listen, care about what you're saying, isn't just going to argue every point, but is really going to listen to you and say, you know what, it's okay that you shared all that and I'm still here. And I feel like, and then guess what? When you get all that stuff out, the relationship gets stronger, you know? And I think the same can happen with God, right? Like right. he allows us the space to like get it all out. And then we can enjoy the feast because if we are holding on to it, we're not going to go to the feast or we're not going to, we're going to be there as a humbug. We're not going to actually <laughs> be able to take it in. Right, right. You know, and that's, that was the guy that showed up at the feast without the wedding garment. You know, back in these days, some of the interpretations I read is that, you know, because, because the king called in these folks from the highways and the byways, the, the poor, you know, the, the, the people that had no substance, he provided the clothes for them, right? So if the man didn't wear the garment, it was because he chose not to. Right. I mean, one of the things we as Americans or Canadians... We as want to make sure that we we're not all Americans. We're North we, Americans. We're North Americans, right? We as North Americans, um, you know, we don't really have a, a, a an appreciation of how how offensive this behavior was back in these days. If the king called, you went. You know, it was like you know, there's like no question about it. Like if Donald Trump, the President Trump, calls me up, I don't have to go, right? Because he can't command me around. But in these days, if the if the if the king called, you went. Um, and so, and to like kill the, the, the messengers and to ignore the king. I mean, this is egregious behavior, you know, that, that is way beyond the pale. So there's a gross mistreatment of God. And that's usually what's going on, right? We've these, we have these blind spots. We think God has wronged us. Can we, can we open a dialogue with God? And bring these things to him so that he can gently show us mm-hmm. who he really is. Because he desperately wants us to love, to receive his love and to love him back and to spend forever with him in heaven. This isn't, he's not like rubbing his hands together, cackling and trying to figure out ways for us to catch us in, in our sins and to send us to hell. Although a lot of people have parts that believe that. Right. You know, even Orthodox practicing Catholics, I see that all the time. Oh, you start them. talking with people about their <laughs> God image stuff, all kinds of things come up. Yeah. So, so what's our item here? We're having- so the action item is to sit down and to, and, to, and, to, and to ask yourself, what do I blame God for? Okay, that's the first step. And make a list. 
right? It could be a variety of different things, right? Vocational issues are huge, right? People where vocations didn't work out in various ways, right? You went into the novitiate, you went into seminary, uh, or you were married, right? And, and all kinds of things happened in that marriage. A lot of times that's that. Whatever the stuff is that you're struggling with, to really ask the question and accept whatever comes up. It's not, a que- it's not an issue of thinking about it. It's to ask the question and listen to the responses, right? They may seem like they're coming up from randomly. It may seem like it's not even part of you. Some people may, say, may even feel like it's so alien that, like, why would I ever say that? A lot of times people just attribute that to Satan or attribute that to devils. I, a lot of times it's not that. Sometimes there's temptations that do come from the outside, but a lot of times it's the stuff that's exiled within us. We didn't even realize Right. So we want to make a list of those things that we're blaming God for and then to take it to God in prayer. Yeah. Right. And we don't have time today to get into all the ways that we do that. But that's a huge thing that we do in the Brazilian Catholics Carpe Diem community. That's still going to be open until November 3rd. November 3rd, we close that down uh, to new membership for a few months. So I'm really going to encourage like, if that's if this kind of exercise really floats your boat, consider joining that. Check it out at soulsandarts.com. Uh, Resilient Catholics Carpe Diem. That's all. It's the community that's grown up around the um, the uh coronavirus crisis carpe diem podcast that comes out every week comes out on monday mornings that i do um and uh and there's a lot of people healing from all kinds of things in that community right now that are really growing they're really putting their they're really putting all kinds of effort into it i'm really proud of them so good stuff beautiful yeah so so that's it does that make sense does that make is that clear jerry like what i'm talking about dr jerry when i'm talking about like making a list of the I, things I we blame like god for and then take it to things prayer. down i feel like it helps to externalize them right it's like why we journal sometimes in therapy and it really get like to me some process here to get out all of our frustrations our resentments our anger the things that we're mad at god for and that might seem like a strange thing to do for some but get it out, get it down. He can handle it. Mm-hmm. In fact, he wants to, you know, he loves us. So he's okay with it. Mm-hmm. And the purpose is to get it out so that we can then reconnect at an even it's, deeper level. That's the all about the relationship. It's about showing up even if, you know, showing up and engaging with, with our Lord, engaging with our King. Cause he's going to say, sit down have something. If we put our garment on and we show up, we're yeah. going to be at the feast, right? It doesn't say that these people are all perfect, right? And that these people in the gospel that showed up for the feast, they were not far from perfect, but you know what? They were fed, they were cared for, they were taken care of, they were loved by the king. And then, you know, honestly, they'll be able to say, I shall live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, which is what right. the psalm says, which right. is the most beautiful thing. But we want to live there free of resentment, free of all this pent up anger and, yeah. and be joyful. And what it, people often say, how do I become joyful? Well, you got to process and work through the other stuff to get to joy. So. And it's not just a spiritual endeavor. It's also, uh, a, it's also shoring up those natural foundations. It's a psychological thing as well as a spiritual thing, right? Yeah. We want to, that's what we do at souls and hearts. That's what souls and hearts is all about. It's about, it's about shoring up the natural foundation for the spiritual life because grace perfects nature. So, you know, if, if we've got a, if we've got disruptions in that natural foundation, that's gonna, that's gonna make the spiritual life less stable, right? So we're all about helping people remove psychological obstacles to receiving God's love and to loving God and others in return. And a lot of it has to do with these blind spots, 
you know, it's it's, so. Uh, Exactly. So if you enjoyed this, (laughs) you got something out of it, please share. Let people know. Uh, Share it. Pass it around. Let your priest know. Maybe your priest. We don't mind if your priest uses it for his homilies. It's fine with us. Uh, You know, uh, share it with people you think would benefit. Subscribe, like, all that kind of stuff. And leave us some messages. Let us know how you're, uh, what you're, what you're experiencing, what you're getting out of it, and because we love to hear that. Yep. All right. And we should mention too, like the app, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, the app. If you're still listening, the app. So we didn't realize this for a while, but the platform we're using has an app. So, if you, <laughs> not for be with the word, but for all the courses we have. Uh, the paid courses, the non-paid courses are all available on the app. So you can listen on your phone through the Kajabi app. So if you go to, if you're a subscriber on soulsonhearts.com, then you can go to Kajabi, download that app and look for Souls and Hearts and you will get access to all of our stuff. Through the app. Through the app. So It's really cool. And that's K-A-J-A-B-I. K-A-J-A-B-I. Yes. Yep. And if yep. you're logged yep. in, yep. it'll actually kick it all right up on your phone. It's like super cool. So yeah, yeah, super right. super cool. We're thrilled about that. We'll send you some more. If you, and if you subscribe, you'll get our weekly kind of updates, and we'll give you more information there. Right. I think right. we're gonna have a blog coming out soon that actually right. walks you through how to get access to the app in case that's a tr- in case for some of us like me it could be troublesome. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And we just enjoy uh, all of you and this, this Souls and Hearts community. And Dr. Peter, it's been great with you today. So It's been great to be with you, Jerry. Thank you. So until next time, be still. Believe. Be loved. Be loved. Take good care. God bless you all.